Well, friends, we have spent the last three weeks, this will be four weeks, uh, on a new message series uh, reflecting on divine hospitality. And uh, we began in our first message by quoting a famous spiritual author named Henry Nouwen, who describes hospitality as making room or space in our lives for someone else. Opening ourselves up, giving our time, giving our attention to meet people where they are, to accept them for who they are, and to get to know them deeply over time through the mutual sharing of our stories. And so we extend hospitality by offering ourselves in friendship and by going and reading part of the, Christ, uh, the Christmas message in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we said that Jesus is the perfect example of this because in him, God the Son leaves his place of honor and glory in heaven and comes to earth to be a human being, to become one of us. And he does this in order to open a place in the heart of God and to extend divine hospitality. He does this so that he can connect with us, to meet us where we are, to accept us for who we are, and to, de to develop a deep, loving, personal relationship with us so that we may know the love of God and experience the salvation of God. Amen? So Jesus literally by extending divine hospitality makes us a friend of God, which is astonishing when you think about it. As those who have received divine hospitality in Jesus, we are called to pass it on and extend the hospitality of God to others. And this whole series is about how we can do this. And what I wanna say is that if we end the series today, and the only thing that has happened is that you've gotten a couple of new insights, and you've been able to ponder some ideas that have given you great intellectual pleasure, but you've not been able to then begin to practice what we're learning, then we will have missed the whole point. Remember, our mission is not just to learn the teachings of Jesus, but to what? to practice the teachings of Jesus, and we do both of those things in order to create communities of love, which are communities of real, authentic connection, friends. And so this whole series has been intended to give you not only the knowledge of, the biblical knowledge of God's hospitality to us, but to give you very specific ways and behaviors and tools to begin to practice this in your own life. Even if we think about our church on Sunday morning as a laboratory for you to be doing that with each other. And so by now, I hope that there's not a single person that comes into this church for the first time that doesn't have someone who's been here for a while approach them and simply say, my name is Mark. We're so glad that you're here. What's your name? And to begin to have a conversation with them, to get to know them. And so in the second message, 
Uh, Phil gave uh, a sermon focusing on the Good Samaritan, and there was a lot of great stuff in there, but one of the main points is how we can extend divine hospitality to people through acts of mercy. And so we see people in need, and we have compassion for them. The word compassion means to suffer with. We connect with their pain. We have compassion. We meet them where they are with grace. We extend ourselves in friendship, and we act in concrete and specific ways to help them to meet their needs through acts of selfless love. And last Sunday, I, t I talked about how we extend the hospitality of God by inviting people to come and see, to come and see what God is doing in our lives by being willing to share the story of how God has healed us and changed us and helped us, and to invite people to come and see what God is doing through the life of our church, and to invite them into this community of friends that we call the church, that they will have more than just us as a friend, but they will have all of you as a friend too. And today, we're gonna finish this series by talking about how we extend the hospitality of God by getting involved in our community, by engaging our community. So, uh, throughout this whole series, we have been asking you to go and to look for people who need to hear good news and who don't have a church home to invite them to become one of your friends and to invite them to hear your story and to listen to their story and to come and see what's going on in the church. And, and as we're doing this, it's very tempting for us to hear that invitation on a Sunday morning and then to leave the building and to forget what we heard. I think part of our sinful nature is forgetfulness. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. Uh, if you have a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up that you've been fighting all of your life, you'll know that you can battle, do battle with that on Monday morning and wake up on Tuesday and forget the pain and the battle and go right back to doing it on Wednesday. Amen? And so forgetfulness is a part of our sinful condition, and we can hear a message on Sunday morning, right? And we can hear it at 9.30, we can finish at 10.30, and that at 10.32, by the time we get in our car, we forget what we've done and we can fail to actually try to practice it. And there are several reasons for this, but one reason is that we often start with some false assumptions. One of the false assumptions is that, well, I don't really need to go and talk to people about my faith or tell my story or invite them to church because, because almost everybody in my community already goes to church. Have you ever thought that? And those that don't go to church, they're simply not interested in hearing about Jesus. So if I go and try to talk to them, it might be off-putting. And I want to proceed this morning first by disabusing you of the first idea that almost everybody goes to church. Because studies show, regardless of where people live in the United States, regardless of their zip code, and this is in what we might call conservative or liberal or progressive or traditionalist communities, that doesn't matter. In every single community across the country, it's somewhere between 50 and 70% of the residents have no affiliation at all with a faith community. And we're not just talking about Christianity, my friends. 
right? They are not affiliated with any faith community, whether Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, New Age, Jehovah's Witness. I mean, we could go on and on. They're not affiliated with any faith community, none, okay? And so we have to remember that there are a lot of people that live all around us who do not have a church home. They don't have a community of friends that can support them on their life journey. And they could very well be open to an invitation. So what about the second idea? What about the idea that people who don't already attend a church or are not connected with some kind of faith community, that they're just not interested? And I would say that this is probably right. However, this is not an indictment on those people who aren't interested. It is an indictment on us who constitute the church. Does that make sense? They are disinterested, but that's not an indictment on them. I believe that in many ways it's an indictment on us, on the church, because we see the church over and over again turning inward, selfishly focusing on meeting the needs of the institution, paying the bills and keeping the doors open, and gradually churches become disconnected and disconnected from and irrelevant to the communities in which they're planted, the communities which they are intended to serve. And so when talking to churches about the importance of community engagement, I like to ask a question. If a hurricane or a tornado came through Cocoa Beach tonight and leveled all of our buildings, would anyone care except us? I just want you to think about that. And if the answer is no, if the only people that would care are the people who come here throughout the week, then we have a big problem because the purpose of the church is to serve the community as the hands and feet of Jesus. We do not exist for ourselves, we exist for others. And if we are doing that, if we are agents of healing and transformation in our town, if we are adding significant value back to the community, then if our church was blown down, the people in this community would care and probably care enough to help us rebuild. And if we honestly wrestle with this question here at First UMC Cocoa Beach, I wonder, if we did it honestly, I wonder how we would answer. The solution, of course, is to do what God designed us to do, to extend the hospitality of God by engaging our community as the hands and feet of Jesus, by serving the community in selfless acts of love. And there are so many people in Cocoa Beach and the surrounding areas who are hurting, my friends. They're struggling. They are depressed. One of the things that I've realized is that more people that I know have told me that they are clinically depressed than at any other time in my life. I have also been dealing with a serious episode of clinical depression. 
You don't know that. I just told you, and I'm going to talk about that the second Sunday after Christmas. I'm going to do a whole series on the realities of depression and what, what the Bible has to say about that. But there are people who are suffering. They're looking for meaning and value and purpose. And they have no faith community to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. They have no faith community to share good news. And as Jesus has said to us and said to the church in generations past, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers or few. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, engage the community in ways that invite them to discover the healing and transforming love of God? That's the question I want to talk about this morning. And in the simplest terms, it just requires us to get involved, to get involved in our communities. We often think of the church as the people of God gathered, gathered in a sanctuary on Sunday morning for worship, gathered in a classroom on Wednesday night for Bible study. But this is only part of the story because the church is not truly itself unless it is also scattered not just gathered, but scattered, scattered in the community in which the church is planted. In fact, are you awake, church? This is really important. In fact, the gathering is for the scattering. I want you to say that with me. The gathering is for the scattering. In the United Methodist Book of Discipline, which is the authoritative document for our whole denomination, not only in America, but around the world, the church is defined, are you ready? If you take notes, this would be a good thing to write down, a strategic base of mission. The church is intended to be a strategic base of mission. That means that we gather for the purpose of being healed and transformed, equipped and empowered and sent into the community to serve our neighbors as bearers of good news, as the hands and feet of Jesus, to help people and to do it in a way that makes us in the power of the Spirit agents of transformation. And this means working as followers of Jesus to help our community reflect the value system of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. The value system that Jesus thought was so important that he spent his whole life with one sermon. The kingdom of God is near. Prepare yourself. A value system that he was willing to die for. So if there is a gathering without a scattering, it has all been for nothing. That's an indictment on the church, my friends, across the world. If there is a gathering without a scattering, it's all been for nothing. It's pointless because the very purpose of the gathering is to empower us for the scattering. That's why when you drive your car off of our church campus, you see a sign if you have not become blind to it. 
Does anybody remember what the sign says? You are now entering the mission field. To be the church that God designed us to be, there must be a continual renewal of the mind. And what this means is that we have to move away from a member's mentality, a member's culture, to a mission mentality and a mission culture. And this is reflected in the fact that as a church, we often ask the wrong question. And guys, I just wanna say that whenever I give a message like this and I try to speak the truth in love, I don't want this to come with a sense of judgment, like I'm trying to like, you know, beat you up spiritually or anything. I just wanna bring some realities, some things that we can work on. And I want you to realize and remember that I never preach a sermon that doesn't also convict me. And so I'm right here with you, okay? But one of the things that we do is focus on the wrong question. And here's the question. How do we get more people to come to church? I want you to think about how many times you've looked around and asked yourself that question. How do we get more people to come to church? And church people, and that means you and me, church people often get obsessed with this question. It becomes the only question, especially if they are struggling financially. But we need a transformation of the mind that will change the question that drives our mission. And that's important to remember. Questions drive our mission. And if we don't want the question, how do we get more people to come to church to drive our mission, then what is the question that should drive it? And this is what I think it should be. What ways could we make a difference as followers of Jesus by engaging the community? Churches that focus on the first question, how do we get more people into the building on Sunday morning, they will inevitably stagnate, decline, and if something doesn't happen to turn them around, they will close. But churches that focus on the second question, how can we not get more people into the church, but get the people who are in the church out into the community to make a difference for Jesus, those are the churches that grow. And this is something that Jesus knew when he said very clearly, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you are willing to lose your life for me and the sake of the gospel, you will gain it. So the measure of our success as a church, which is really in biblical terms a matter of faithfulness, is not how many people we can get to come to the building on Sunday morning, but how effective those who come on Sunday morning are in engaging the community to make a positive difference for Jesus. Again, moving away from a club mentality, a member's mentality to a mission mentality. And so we need a renewal, a renewal of the mind. So if the question is how do we not only raise that question and let it be the primary question, but then how do we begin to answer that question in the way that we live our lives, both individually and together as a community of faith, how do we do this? How do we do it? And First, as I've already suggested, 
that the first thing starts with you. I want you to say it starts with me. Look to the person next to you and say, it doesn't start with you, it starts with me. It happens, the first thing that happens is right here. Right here. We must move from a member to a mission mentality. In the words of Reggie McNeil, this means, and I quote, making heroes of Jesus followers who are using their life assignments as missionary posts to bless people. Isn't that beautiful? I just want to say that again. Making heroes of Jesus' followers who are using their life assignments as missionary posts to bless people. Reggie McNeil goes on to say, the idea is that in their daily lives, say daily, not weekly, in their daily lives, in their daily routines, in their relationships and social networks, in their fields of influence, the people of God represent God to people and people to God in our daily lives. You have heard me say in other messages, and I love this example, that you are missionaries in disguise. You're like a superhero for Jesus. You're Clark Kent, but underneath, you've got your Jesus. You've got your Jesus follower, superhero, Holy Spirit charged uniform on because you are a missionary in disguise. You may go to work as an engineer, but this is not the core of your identity. You may go to work as an accountant, a small business owner, or a mechanic. This is what the outside of your uniform might look like, but you are a missionary in disguise. That's why God created you, gave you breath, saved you, forgave you, and put you on a new path to make you a missionary in disguise. And as you design and test various products as an engineer, you, as you crunch numbers, as you manage your business and offer services to the public, as you fix cars or air conditioners, this is the way that God has given you to get into the hearts and lives of the people in your community. And so as you conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus and act in ways that are consistent with the value system of Jesus, you make connections and build friendships. You meet personal needs, share your story, invite them to meet your friends at church, and then God works through all of this to bring them the good news of salvation and abundant life. We all have the same job. You're a missionary in disguise. And that's step one. That shift has to happen here or the second step that is necessary will not happen. After we cultivate this new mentality or while we are cultivating the new mentality, then, as Jesus said, we have eyes to see and the possibilities for extending the hospitality of God by engaging our community become endless. God can use virtually anything that you do on a daily basis to engage the community and to mediate his healing and saving presence. 
I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how this shift in mentality changes the way that we go about ministries in the church and our daily routine. So take, for example, our food pantry, which we've already briefly touched on. When we invite you to volunteer at the pantry, it's easy for you to think that it's about giving someone a bag of food. It is not. That's not what it's about. The real purpose of the food pantry is to extend the hospitality of God to people who are struggling by offering ourselves as friends. If people come and get a bag of food and no one engages them, no one walks over and says, hi, my name is Mark, what's your name? If they get a bag of food and no one asks them about their family or their work situation, and no one offers to be a listening ear to give them a hug, a handshake, then we have utterly failed. Because again, the food pantry is not really about giving away food. It's about extending the hospitality of God by inviting someone to be your friend. It's about authentic connection. And the same is true when we leave our homes and we leave our church and we get involved in the community. Think of the possibilities, my friends. Instead of complaining that kids are more involved in sports on Sunday than, on church, than in church, what if we encouraged our members to be coaches and chaperones so that they can model the Christian life to all those boys and girls on the team and also their parents? What if instead of complaining about how our schools aren't what they used to be, we sent our members to serve as teachers, aides, tutors, and cafeteria monitors? What if we saw every community organization like Rotary or Kiwanis as an opportunity to get to know and support community leaders who have a really hard job, who are constantly under criticism, but to find and support community leaders that support our values and try to make our town a better place? What if instead of complaining about all of those serving in local government and attacking them on Facebook, we encouraged our members to run for office and to model what Christian leadership is all about, what servant leadership is all about. What if instead of simply going to the Cocoa Beach Christmas parade, that we had a float? There were two other churches had floats, we didn't have a float. And friends, all the churches in the town are doing good work for Jesus, but I'm gonna tell you, I know the pastors, I've, I've gone on the websites, I've read the mission statements, we have a unique message. We have a unique message in this community. What if we had a float and we just broadcasted that encouraging message of radical love? Love wins, everyone belongs. What kind of an impact would that make? What if when our city offered a community event, we sent teams of volunteers to help, encouraging them to make connections and love people like Jesus. What if we got the contact information of people who just moved into the neighborhood and reached out to them and offered to make suggestions to get them acclimated as an act of love? What if we started organizing a monthly play date at a local park or restaurant for young children and their parents, or started a weekly Bible study for businessmen and businesswomen who were interested in learning more about how Christianity can impact the workplace. Friends, I could go on and on because the possibilities are endless. And as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the number one reason why these kinds of things don't happen is because the people sitting in the pews, that's you and me, 
We're waiting for someone else to do it. We're waiting for the pastor to do it. We're waiting for the staff person to do it. We're waiting for someone on the lead team to do it. We have, these are great ideas. Let's have a float. Who's going to do it? Not me. <laughs> right? And we're waiting for someone else to do it. But what if all of us, regardless of age, came to believe that as long as we have breath, we are called to serve the mission of Jesus in the larger community. What if we came to see ourselves as missionaries in disguise, so whether we are at work or on the pickleball court, our main purpose is to extend the hospitality of God by offering ourselves and friendship and inviting people to become a friend of God through Jesus. And I wanna close this morning by giving you a tool and eliminating all of your excuses. Are you ready? Look in your bulletin and pull out the little handout entitled, Using Your Elbow. Now we're gonna talk about using our elbows, not to elbow our spouse who's snoring or elbow someone who's embarrassing us. We're gonna use our elbow to do some new ministries for Jesus with some of our best friends. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna offer you a tool so that if you feel inspired by this message and if you want to do something about it, then this is going to give you very practical steps. So look at the, look at the handout and this is gonna be the end before we turn to communion and I know we're running short on time so we'll go really fast, okay? Okay, and, and this is what I want you to do. We're gonna review this quickly, then I want you to go home and I want you to fill this out and I want you to bring it back to our Wednesday night dinner. That's your homework, okay? Number one, think about four to six groups of people that you normally interact with. Now, we want you to exclude the people that you go to church with, because we're trying to reach new people, right? So think about, I play pickleball, I play cribbage or bridge, I go surfing, I am on a basketball league, I have rotary, there's endless. Just think about all the different groups, and you can write them down on letters A to F. Okay, if you're watching online, I'll post this handout on our Facebook page. Okay, once you do that, then you're gonna go back and look at the names of these organizations and write down the name of one person in each group that is not active in a church, one person. Then, and this is the fun part, you're gonna pick something that you like to do. What do you like to do? This is gonna be individual, do you like to barbecue? Um, do you like to make craft beer? <laughs> uh, do you like to play pickleball? Do you surf? Do you like to cook? Do you do scrapbooking? Do you like to do crossword puzzles? Like, what do you like to do? Think of something that you like to do and write it in the blank under number three. And then you take the next step by saying, is there anyone else in the church that likes to do that? Just two or three people that like to surf like I like to surf or that like to play pickleball like you like to play pickleball? Are there a few people in the church? And then you, you, you send them a text or give them a call and you say, hey, I want to get together with you to do something that we all really like doing and so let's put something on the calendar, okay? And then once you get something and there's no agenda, like you're not, you're not going surfing and then giving them a track and leading them to sinner's prayer afterwards, right? I mean, this is just, this is just being a friend to someone, reaching out and connecting with someone. So, you, so you, plan it, you plan to get together and then after you set the date, you think about the names of the people 
on number one, under number one, and you think, is there anybody in that group that likes to do what I like to do? And then you invite them. So there might be two or three people on this list, and they like to surf too, so we're going to invite them. And then the other two or three people from your church who are going to be meeting with you, their job is to find at least one other person who doesn't go to church and bring them to the surfing event or the pickleball tournament or whatever you're going to do. Okay? And then... You ready for this? Here's the rocket science. You be a friend. You just hang out. You be a friend. And when it's over, you say, hey guys, if you had fun, let's do this again. Get out your calendars. Let's put something else on there. And then you continue to meet and have fun. And after a while, you're going to build friendships. You're going to build trust. And then if you're living your life in a way that is unique, that reflects Jesus, people are going to know that you're a Christian. They're gonna to begin to ask you questions and they're gonna be more open to the invitation, come and see. Come and see what God has done in my life. Come and see what God is doing in the life of our church. It takes time, okay? Do you see how this can help you to be the church? I am not the church. Phil is not the church. Emma and the band is not the church. We, all of us, the people, are the church together. Do you understand that you're a missionary in disguise? That you were called to extend the hospitality of God by extending the hand of friendship? Don't wait for your pastor to do it. Go do it. You say, well, I need permission. I just gave it to you. Go do it. The good news this morning is that all of you say, I'm part of that all. <laughs> all of you are ministers of Jesus Christ by virtue of your baptism. Every single one of you. And my job is to help you to embrace this calling and to help you to more fully live into it, to empower you and equip you and give you tools to do this. The question is this morning, will you respond or will you walk out of here and go to Denny's and forget everything we've done over the last four weeks? My prayer is that something will stick and get you moving forward. And you're going to have an opportunity to ponder that and pray about that as we turn to our abbreviated service of Holy Communion this morning.